Most pastors today are talking about New Year's resolutions, and I'm going to touch a little bit on that, but not so much. Today, many people are making resolutions. See, there you go. Or, well, last night, some even started, or last week. I used to start mine the week before so that I could say it was a last year's resolution. Some have already broken those and decided they can't do it. I mean, literally, they started a New Year's resolution and broke it already. A resolution really comes from a resolve to do something which, if you think about it, does not mean you will be perfect along the way. So if you resolve to do something and you have failed, which does happen, get up, start over, and do it again. However, the most effective resolutions come out of a place called why. W-H-Y. You have to really know why you are doing what you're doing, or when it gets tough, you will quit. You have to know why. Why should I get up? Easy. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, and it's bigger than my reason to stay down. You have to know. You have to know why. Your why to get up has got to be bigger than your why to stay down. Otherwise, after a couple knockdowns, you're just going to stay there. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not like a regular mic where I can cover, you know, move it away. So you're just going to get in here. You're going to hear it. Nothing I could do. It's so hard, I just want to quit. Exactly. But you already knew that when you made the resolution. Your why is bigger than your quit. So keep on going. It's got to be bigger. And finally, let's get spiritual here just for a second. The why is possibly, probably inspired by God. So overcome. I had a lady that I used to really joke around with a fair bit, you know, and she every year told me that, you know, and she was a bigger lady and she joked about that too. So don't get mad at me later because we're such a very, you know, politically correct society now. There was a time when we weren't. We could say things to each other. You know what I mean? We could say things like stuff, and people didn't like run around going, I got a boo-boo, you know, like, and and next thing you know, whatever. And she said something to me, and we were joking back and forth, and she said to me that, you know, she didn't make any resolutions to lose weight because God was just going to deliver her from her weight problem. She was just going to wake up, and it was all going to be gone. And I just kind of looked at her because I didn't know how to respond to that. I mean, could God do that? I guess. I said, I I don't... mm." So I don't really think it's going to happen that way. I don't think it works quite that way. And she just looked at me very strange. 
But she had such incredible faith. She was a prayer warrior, but she had such innocent faith, but she struggled in that area. And her why wasn't big enough for her to put in the work to get the results she needed to get in that area. And so God has to do it or it's just not going to happen, right? And very often God gets blamed for things that we know are just simply our fault. Isn't that true? I mean, come on, let's be real here. When we, the, biggest, the biggest threat to your why is the person you look at in the mirror every day. I mean, that's the truth. Unless you have something that you really couldn't control. That happens to people. I mean, don't go looking now at every heavy person and go, oh, you're just a fatty, you're just a fatty. You know, don't do that. Don't go doing that because I'll get in trouble. Okay, I, first of all, I don't believe that, that because there are, there are conditions that can cause that. There are. And some of those people have talked to me with incredible, I mean, tears running down their face because people have been so mean. We also live in a mean society and a mean culture that really we have no problem saying mean stuff. And we have to understand that when we say that one comment, boom, and we walk away, you know, you forget about it five minutes after you said it. They remember it for the rest of their lives. Your name's probably written in a little book that they're carrying around in their pocket. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> to live resolved is so important, we have to live in a supernatural place. It's not possible for a non-believer to live in. But for those who do believe, we can live on the promise of being resolved. I mean, I made resolves in my life as a non-believer, and I just didn't make them. You know, my, my, my dad, before he became a Christian, smoked. That was a big issue for my dad. And, you know, he drank beer and all that kind of stuff. And, like, I mean, when I say radically saved, I mean, I mean radically saved, okay? Their marriage was radically restored, and I'm not saying that if someone here is a Christian, you struggle with those things, you're a bad person. I'm saying that my dad was an all-in or all-out kind of guy before he was saved. And so when he got saved, he was an all-in or all-out kind of guy. And so when he got saved at first, some of those things didn't change because he needed to see in the Bible for himself where those things were harmful. And when he saw in Scripture that it was harmful for him to be indulging in those things, he just stopped. And I was like, wow, where's the whole withdrawal addiction, like, Dad, you're a lunatic thing? None. He had been smoking since he was 10. I mean, that generation, you know, that, I mean, you got to remember, he'd be almost, almost 70, he'd be 79, 79 right now. That generation started smoking young. They even told you it was healthy back then. There were posters saying, mm, healthy, 
you know, I don't know how they would think it was something. So I still remember him just saying, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore. Done. I remember the, all the bottles in the house being poured down the drain. And I was like, I wasn't a Christian. I was fascinated by what was going on. What are you guys doing? I mean, the house smelled like a distillery because everything was going down the sink, you know? What are you guys doing? Well, son, this stuff has to go. It's not healthy for us. I was like, okay. Please don't come and debate with me, all right? He just, whatever. For him, it was, he felt it was wrong. And like that, it was just done. Gone. And there was just an instant transformation that happened. There was a, a resolve that happened. Now, the act of resolving according to the dictionary definition or determining upon an action, course of action, a method or procedure. Wow, that's a whole lot just to say they resolved to do something. Right? The second one is a resolve, a decision or determination to make a firm resolution to do something. Her resolution to clear her parents' name allowed her no other focus in life. What did her parents do? I wonder. Why don't they put that in there? The mental state or quality of being resolved or resolute. Firmness of purpose. She showed her resolution by not attending the meeting. So those are some definitions of resolving or resolute. So we're going to get into it now. Resolve to be 100%. See, to be a Christian at salvation, there is a moment that takes place when we become Christians where the light bulb goes on and we know that this is a 100% deal. And everybody that's accepted Jesus in the room, you know it, right? But as time goes on, there's a word called compromise that gets into our lives and we move away from 100% because we don't want people calling us radical. And I remember even, and this is a special one. Young people hear me, by the way. This is really important. Never compare your spiritual walk to another person, ever. You're setting the bar way too low. Compare it to the book. Compare it to Christ. He's the model. Compare it to him. When you compare it to others, you're not striving anymore. You're just hanging out in the club. You ever seen people who complain? Who do they hang out with? Who do they hang out with? Can I have their names? They hang out with other complainers. Who do gossipers hang out with? Exactly. Give me their names. They do that because they can't get the good stuff if they're not hanging out with people that are going to feed it. Right? I mean, the, the gossiper is not going to want to hang out with the super spiritual intercessor prayer person. 
You want to know why? Because the super spiritual intercessor person is going to lay their hands on them and cast that out of them. <laughs> uh, you think I'm kidding. <laughs> I was actually in a prayer meeting where someone was like one of these and they said, you know, let's just take a minute and pray for you. Just going to pray that God's just going to help you to see things in a positive way. Oh boy. How do you say, you know, how do you say no to that, right? You're kind of trapped. <laughs> you know. I'm going to run. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Resolve to be 100%. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. Whatever your hands, hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So recognizing that we only get one life, I could have said one life to live, right? It would have been a funny joke. But before eternity comes, don't live without conviction in our actions. So go at whatever you're doing with 110% if you can. There is neither working nor planning where we're going. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, be 100% resolved to your why. Whatever your why is, and you might say, what are you talking about? The why is why you're here. Why did God put you on this earth? Why are you here? Be 100% resolved to the why and go after it 100%. Because once you die, you can't do that anymore. Not here. He says, I have seen something under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. The key to success here is not the most talent. It's not. The world tells you it is. The most talented, the prettiest, the most handsome, the most wealthy. These are the people that rise to the top. Untrue. Untrue. History does not reflect that. It doesn't. Boy, that Albert Einstein, he was a looker. You know what I'm saying? Like two feet tall with that wild hair? I mean, come on. Seriously, really? Do you think so? And every picture I've seen of Amelia Earhart? Oh, yeah, really. Mm-hmm. She had lots of dates, I'm sure. But they had something. They had their why. And they were resolved that nothing was getting in their way of going after that. And it didn't matter what you said or anyone else said, they had personal conviction to get there. 
But our world today would have you believe as they put on TV, you know, people that they prayed out with perfect complexions and perfect hair and perfect everything, you know, and they push them out there. And by the way, they're actors and I don't even know if they've got, you know, an education or anything. And you're supposed to believe that that's the ideal. It's not. I've done TV. I've been on TV many times. And I can give you a perspective of what's there that you need to know. There are three cameras, a platform, and a big black room. And what you are seeing is a curtain and wood and a fake front table And in behind that is a bunch of people running around handing papers to us underneath the table, and you have no idea what's really going on. It's all fake. It's all designed to make you think something. I was supposed to do a show, and they had another set in the corner. It was an L corner. It had a couch. It had a carpet. had a fireplace. had a chair. I mean, it looked like the most beautiful living room you'd ever want to go into. This room was freezing. It wasn't real at all. Smoke and mirrors. All designed to make you see something. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant. It just doesn't. People think it does, but it doesn't. Or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. There's some truth to that, isn't there? You all know what I'm talking about. I mean, sometimes you just got to be, you know, you're the right person in the right place at the right time. Now, as believers, we don't believe that. We believe that God puts us in the right place at the right time. I believe that God is absolutely the one that arranges and puts me where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. And that's just the way she goes. That same channel offered me the chance to do like six recordings of a show and to host a show just as I was interviewing to go here. And it was probably going to start working into some of this. Mucho chizo. I could have used some mucho chizo. You know, mucho dineros. El banco. And you know what? God had another plan. He had his own timing. And I'll be honest, I'm just as nervous staring at a camera as I am staring at all of you. I don't know why. Don't know why, because there's no one there. There's a red light. And they tell you not to look at it. Well, sorry. They tell you not to look at the 55-inch TV that's on the floor. And I'm like, why is it there then? Because no one else can see it but us. And there's a five-second delay. And they're like, don't look at it because there's a five-second delay. And I'm like, why? Because it'll mess up what you say. Well, I feel delayed half the time anyway, so I was fine. 
I looked at it all the time. The key to success here is not being the most talented, the best looking, the strongest, the wealthiest, etc. No, because time and chance do happen to them all. God puts people in places of chance and time. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, verse 12 says. Nobody knows. You don't know when your hour comes that God's going to raise you up or take you home. We don't no. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. I think that verse is appropriate for now. Just as fish are caught in a cruel net, people are caught in evil times. Why do you think that is? How do you get caught in a net by evil times? Because they're not ready. They can't recognize what's happening. They're walking around going, gee, this is weird. Do you think it's bad? Hello? Take a good look. Maybe it'll go away. This isn't going away anytime soon, people. What's our option? Should we protest? No, we should get into the Bible. Should get into the Word. We should get into Jesus more. I don't know how to start. Okay, well, here's an easy start. You got one of these. You all do. You do. Get a Bible app. They make this so easy now. It's, it's crazy. You can get a Bible app that talks for you. You don't even have to read. That's so lazy. It's crazy. But you know what, if that's all, if, you, if, if that's really what you need to do, then do it. Play it through your car speakers. Listen to the word of God. I listen to K-Love every day. I'm glad you listen to K-Love every day. How about we listen to K-Jesus every day? I'm not against K-Love. I'm not against any Christian station. But listen to Jesus first. Then that stuff. Like, put some time there. Try it. Just see what God does. Or birds are taken in a snare. People are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Nothing in this world protects anyone of any social class from that. Nothing. Nothing is going to protect any person from a snare or a trap. Nothing. Rich people get trapped the same as poor people. The traps might be different, but they're there. I mean, let's be honest, if the most powerful person in the world can be attacked and trapped and all kinds of things like that, no one's safe. That's the reality. We're all open to attack. Now back to verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Don't waste your time talking about non-consequential stuff that doesn't really matter, that you can't do anything about. Focus on what you can. I learned that one about my wife. My wife is always about, yeah, I can't, I don't, I can't, I don't want to talk about it. I can't do anything about that. She'll say that all the time. She says, I just worry about what I can do. 
She's a wise woman. Now, to some degree, I need to keep my nose into that stuff because my job is to educate the flock. But there was a time maybe when my nose was too far into that, and it's a little overwhelming too. You can get lost in it. It's an ocean of stuff, especially with the information superhighway of silliness that's out there. You just don't know how much time you will have or what is coming our way. Every day it seems to be something else. We need to resolve to redeem. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17 in the NIV. Let me read it to you from the NIV first. I'm going to give you two comparisons. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Again, using our time in the appropriate way because the days that we live in are evil. No, they're not, Pastor. They're just a little bit off. The days are evil. They call good bad and bad good. Come on. Our kids need to know this. They're growing up in a generation right now where the tables have flipped completely. Stuff is considered okay today that we would have screamed from the rooftops 20 years ago and said, "Uh uh-uh, that will no way happen. No, 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 no. But the church has gone silent. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So the NIV stresses the importance of living living a wise versus an unwise life, using our opportunities the right way. Now, let me give you the New King James Version. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. I like that word. It's a very mm, kind of word. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's just calling a spade a spade. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. I believe we are living in probably the most evil time to date. To date. I think it's going to probably get much worse, but to date. So we're going, Pastor Dan, this is early New Year, and what? You could have been cheerier. I am cheerful. God chose you to live in this time. That means you're special. You could have been born in any other time where you were just kind of not really sure what was going on with the book. You're living in the key moments right now. Stay with me. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the New King James adds a different twist. Walk circumspectly in a careful, prudent way, knowing you are being watched. We are all being watched. How? I mean, let me just throw this one out there. How many of you have an iPhone? Lift your hand. How many of you carry an iPhone? I'm not doing a survey for my own personal hacking purposes. How many carry an iPhone? You don't want to tell me. All right, I know there's more than that. There's more than five. Okay, how many carry an Android? How many carry a brick? (laughs) All right, 
Okay. Just, just when it talks about being watched, Apple actually just quietly this year, their privacy agreement just recently changed that they can actually look at all the photos on every single one of your Apple devices. And they say it's for a good purpose, that if they see any appropriate, inappropriate content on your device, they can turn it into the authorities. You're being watched. This verse was written how long ago? Just thought I would point that out. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, reclaiming the time we would otherwise waste because the days that we live in are evil. As we live this life, we as believers, God is going to help us to redeem or reclaim time and use it for kingdom purpose. That's huge. Therefore, don't be unwise walking through this life not knowing your purpose. And I know this is hard because I always get four or five people go, I don't know my purpose. I don't know my purpose. I get it. It's not that easy to figure out what your specific purpose is. So here's what you need to do. Is God going to just march over to you? If you were in the military, would God walk up to you having just signed up and you really haven't served just basic orders and hand you a top secret mission? No. So get involved in the army. Serve in the kingdom. In other words, do what's in the book. And as you're doing what's in the book, he will then tell you what it is he wants you to do. It'll get clearer as time goes on. I didn't know that I was called to be a preacher when I became a Christian right away. I got saved. I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And we were a portable church. Go help the old guys at the church stack chairs. That was my great commission. But you know what? When I showed up at the church, I saw a bunch of older guys and they're like, I'm talking late 50s, 60s, one guy in his late, late 60s hauling these big stacks, but they were lifting big stacks of chairs. And they, one guy had a bad back and one guy had like a bad knee. And I'm thinking, and they were doing it every week, setting up and tearing down, setting up and tearing down. I thought, this isn't right. There's nothing wrong with my back or knees. I was 16. So, other than my inability to get out of bed that early, because I had to be there with my dad at like, I don't know, 7 o'clock in the morning. So, we started setting up chairs and tearing down after. And that was my role for quite a while. I was going to the prayer meetings. and I was one of the only young people that went to the midweek prayer meeting at the pastor's office, which he rented a small office because we didn't have one. And it's really hard when you got a bunch of people jammed in a really small office. It smells. And, but I went. I just started to do church. I did the things that were there to do. I got involved. And God began to reveal what it was he wanted for me to do. That's how it starts. And it goes from there. 
If you're with me, say amen. If you don't know, you're supposed to start, for example, a soup kitchen, then do what the Bible tells us to do. Like, down the road, you might tell you, go start a soup kitchen. By then, you'll be ready. But if you walked into church, you've been saved like a few months, and you know a handful of people, and God tells you, go start a soup kitchen. You're going to go out there to try to do this thing, and you're going to get absolutely slaughtered. Because the enemy is going to come over to you, and he is going to smack you silly. And you might go, who do you think you are? Your pastor, and I care about you. You're not ready yet at that point. I mean, would you send your 10-year-old kid out by themselves at 11 o'clock at night and say, hey, go, go to like, you know, Walmart and buy groceries and bring them back on your bike? Some of you are going, I think so, maybe. You know. <laughs> of course you wouldn't do that because you're good parents. I hope. It was very quiet there for a second. I mean, you, you, were, you were calculating it, I know. I was like, you're thinking, hmm, alone time. All right, I understand. God will stand supernaturally with us in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, and I'll be wrapping up right here. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. There's a few different kinds of locusts there. My great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Maybe you feel you've wasted too much time or that God has no plan for you and there's nothing you can do that he can use you for. Then this verse right here is for you. Maybe you think too much of your life has gone by. I've had people later in life crying, tears in their eyes saying, Pastor, too much time has gone by and God can't use me now. This verse is for you. He's saying, I will restore all the time. No matter which way the devil's taken it, I'm going to give it back. Now, is he going to give you like another hundred years? That's not what he means. He means he's going to jam into that time what he promised over this much time that you missed. He's going to give it to you. You just got to trust him. You just got to walk with him. You got to believe with him. Going to have Pastor Nate come back. There are so many people that walk in defeat because they don't have a nameplate over their calling. They don't know what to call it. Well, the truth is, there's the pastor, teacher, you know, there's those offices in the Bible. But most people don't have a nameplate necessarily. 
If you were a teacher, that's, I guess, your calling. If you're an engineer, that, that you can, whatever you want, like you can put a title on it yourself, but don't get hung up on the title so much. Call yourself a Christian and go off of that. Because you see, here's the truth. God wants to use you. The only story, and I've shared this lady before, but I see some faces that I know have not heard this story. And I'm going to close with it. Because I think it speaks to this last point better than anything I could think of. She was in her late 70s. My friend was going to India. And it's very hot in India in the summertime. They could do no ministry at the height of the day. Temperatures hit over 120 degrees. It's just crazy hot. I can't even imagine that kind of heat. And that's not taking into account humidity. And so she was operating on about 25% of her heart. Her doctor said, if you go on this trip, they'll bring you back in a box. She said, I have to go. God had put something in her heart. She had lived her whole life. She was a Christian, but she told my friend that there was a void there. She had felt that she had not done what God had wanted her to do. Many of you can relate to that, I know. And my friend is a very non-emotional kind of a person. And I remember the first time he told me this story, he was he was crying. He said they went into a village and he said she had been quiet most of the trip. They, they were very worried about her. They, they tried to keep her cool and they knew that there was a good chance she was not coming home alive. And he said that she said right there. And he said, what? He said, can you Get me to that rock over there. And so she went over and sat on the rock and they were at an orphanage where all the children had AIDS. And this is back quite a while ago where they didn't have a lot of the medications they do now, but it wouldn't have mattered where they were. They were too poor. They wouldn't have had those medications anyway. And she sat there and she said to my friend, have them bring me the babies. And she sat there and held every single one and prayed over them in the spirit. And I thought, oh, that's very nice. He said, Dan, that's not the story. I said, what's the story? He said, we got word that God healed them. He said, and she did not die. She came home. I was like, are you kidding me? He said, no. I said, all she did was hug him. He said she held them and cradled them in her arms and she just prayed that Jesus would heal them. She waited her whole life for that moment. Those children were born for that moment in time when she would live a whole life for that moment in time, when they would intersect at that moment in time, when the Spirit of God would use her in that moment in time to heal them of a disease that had no cure. Tell me there's no God.
I believe we need to reclaim the days. We can't go back to what was. We can't go back to the good old days. But we got to go back to the good old days of grabbing onto the Spirit and letting God write the next chapter. And let it look however He wants it to look. And I believe we've always tried to hold on to Him. I'm not saying we've walked away. But the days are hard right now. And we got to grab on even more so. How many would say, you know what? In my own life, I feel that. That really resonates with my spirit. I, gotta, I feel like I have to grab, grab on and stay close to God. Can I see your hand? You see, I, I feel that. That's definitely my heart today. Yeah, I've been feeling that myself. And it wasn't until last night, really, when I was kind of going back through my notes that I could kind of put it in words. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that we can be resolved to a truth, and that truth is that we have to hold close to you. doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Those things are assigned to those of us who believe. And we can be excited to know that you are moving in this world and that even so, come Lord Jesus. But Father, we pray that you'd help us to grab on and hold you close. That we might be able to grow in you, that we'd be able to, Father, you know, move on our why, to be able to stand in the truth of the promises that you've given us. That, Lord, we would be able to move forward in our personal relationship with you more than we ever have before. And we may have to climb over some obstacles and go through some things in our personal walk in our life that maybe have been there and the obstacles that we have to kind of push to the side. But Lord, for every person that raised their hand, I pray that you would just help them and show them the direction they need to go. Lord, bless us this year as we move forward as a church. Lord, give us opportunities to continue to be a huge blessing in our community, much more than we ever thought we could be. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you as you go. Be safe, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. And Happy New Year.